Joel is a complicated text. Even if we had had it on both screens and you had it and the word of Jane, thank you, it still is complicated, but I wanted you to hear those things. You heard about the rain that was coming. You heard that the locust situation was going to end and that God would repay. You heard that God's spirit would be there. You heard that the the word of God and the awesomeness of God and all of these gifts would be repaid not only to kings and queens, but also to sons and daughters, but also to the slaves. And most of all, God would show up. That's the best part. Now, we don't know much about the prophet Joel, like I spoke about. He's a minor prophet, as opposed to a major prophet. You all have heard things like Jeremiah or Isaiah. We actually just were in Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago, and last week, he's got something like 30 chapters to his name. Joel has six, but the words that Joel preaches are specific and good. And we don't know a lot about Joel. In fact, there's no historical pinpoint of an action or activity because actually locusts came over the land all of the time. There's no king mentioned, so we can't pinpoint it. We think it's somewhere around the early 9th century BC, not AD. And so we think about it not in terms of historical because it could have happened today. It could have happened thousands of years earlier. What's an amazing thing is that what Joel's words have to say that the people then could be any time. The story goes like this. God's people have sinned. That's true always. God's people need to repent. True always. God forgives. True always. And there's great celebration and praise of our God. True always. Now it's easy to think of God as the God of wrath. I mean, there's locusts. Check out these Old Testament stories. You probably remember them. Just by the very name of them, you think. The fall of Adam and Eve. The flood. Moses leading the Israelites in the wilderness. Daniel in the lion's den. David and Bathsheba. Oh, that promiscuous fellow. Even the way that we name the stories says something about how our heart views God. We view God, and the people of Joel viewed God, as a God of wrath. But God is not a God of wrath. God is a God of love. Rather than viewing God as a God of wrath, what if we focused on the fact that God is a God of love. Wouldn't these same Bible stories have a different thought process, a different feeling to you, and a different theology if we named them this way? God is revealed to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God makes a covenant with Noah. God provides for the Israelites in the desert. God kept Daniel safe. And yet, not a perfect human being, God still used David for great things. Same stories, different theology. It's thinking about God not just as a God of wrath, but as a God of love. And that's the truth. Our focus is often skewed. 
Because we get wrapped in this vortex of thinking that there's some particular reason. All things happen for a reason, right? Says Romans. It can get skewed. We don't know why those people were killed in Orlando in June. We don't know why God didn't stop the bombing in Brussels. We don't know why there's no cosmic pipeline I or you have about the Paris attacks a year ago. We don't know. But the church doesn't have to have complete and thorough answers to these things. But the church is certainly a place where we need to dialogue, to wrestle with it. Adults, teens, and children, even at their own level, need to dialogue about these things. Not skirt the issue. That's not what I'm saying. 13-year-old Steve attended church every Sunday with his parents. And this particular Sunday, he came up to his pastor afterwards and he, he asked a pressing question about tumultuous events that he saw. And the pastor said, yes, of course, God knows everything. Steve was haunted by the plight of the African children suffering in dire famine. And so he pulled out this magazine cover and he showed it and he said, does God know about this? This. They're hungry. They're starving. I read a whole article about it. I feel for them. And the pastor had a response. God does know about this. God does know about this. Well, of course God knows about this. Steve, I know you don't understand, said the pastor, but God knows about it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I agree with Steve. He was not satisfied with that answer. Are you satisfied by that answer? Steve walked out of the congregation, and he never joined a Christian church for worship ever again. Now, I have to say that the pastor's answer wasn't awful. It wasn't bad. And if it wasn't for Steve being such a famous person, this pastor probably wouldn't have gotten such a bad rap. Because maybe you know Steve. He's the CEO of Apple. The answer was short-sighted. It failed to grasp Steve's question In adolescent development, we learn about it. If a child is thinking about this, they're thinking about themselves. And we as adults don't often grow out of that. Sometimes we ask questions about this, but it's really about ourselves. Because Steve's question was more personal. It wasn't just existential about the nature of suffering in the world, but there was something real behind Steve's rather esoteric inquiry about the children in Africa. Steve wondered how God would allow the suffering that he himself had experienced at 13 years old, struggles at home, bullies, painfully being relinquished for adoption by his birth parents, which is not everyone's story, but it was Steve's. He was trying to make sense with the pain in the world, And by that, he was trying to make sense of his own pain. The cry of 13-year-old Steve is our cry. 
the Israelites cry in the time of Joel, Oh God, how can we make sense of this pain? And the answer doesn't lie in the pain or the suffering. And you know what? There's not even an answer. But the search involves peace and looking at God's promises. We're not left in utter silence without hope. God is the ultimate judge and ruler of the earth, but also a compassionate creator and caretaker for all of our groaning. You can't look at the way of the world and list God's purposes and say, right here and right there, I see them. Because after all, I can walk outside and see a beautiful fall day that looks a lot like summer still. But I notice God's presence when I walk outside. But then just the other day, I was sitting with one of my friends, and she was still lamenting to me about the loss of her husband several years ago. How can you pinpoint God here and not there? Just because we see good? That's our perspective. What if we changed our perspective and didn't just think of God as a God of wrath, but see God as a God of love? Because the trouble in the Western world is that we see God as some celestial CEO. And if bad things happen, then it's the CEO's fault. God's not good at running the show, running the company. It's much more complicated than that. God is involved in God's things that are much greater than ourselves. And my favorite part is that Jesus came into this situation. And he took the world into himself. And he sees this mess. So Joel is describing a mess centuries ago to a group of people. And then centuries later, that same mess is there. God's words are still true. And centuries even later, where we are, God's words are still true. You see, they were devastated by lack of food, resources, and a leader that was aloof. The Israelites in Judah had this. And in the New Testament, we also see this. You remember, of course, the story after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. There's this beautiful gathering of Jews who have come to Jerusalem, the capital, and they're gathered there for a festival like they would every year. This one changed. They were worried about the state of the world, and their leader was no longer there. They certainly could have used the words of Joel, and they did. Because Peter began speaking, all of the disciples began speaking, and it became what was known to us as Pentecost, the birthday of the church, where God's word landed on all of the people. All of the people had flames of tongues above their heads so that they would understand the word of the Lord. What a party! Joel was describing something that would happen, and it was amazing when it did. The famine in the land disappeared. Their leader came back. And here we are. The pre-party has actually made it to the party. It's absolutely amazing how God's spirit can transform a space, how God's spirit can transform a place. And maybe Joel belongs in a period 
that there wasn't much vision and prophesying. I feel like today there isn't much visioning and prophesying. And we're waiting here for a good word from the Lord. But what would it be if we changed our thought process? Instead of focusing on all of the bad, we focused on the good. Then we would be able to celebrate. Then we would be able to experience the Lord. As our friend Tyler said earlier today, the best invitation to our party, to God's party, is God, God's self. And so we breathe in God, we feel the Holy Spirit, we feel that God's presence is with us, and we know that God is there. Would you pray with me? God, as we have your Holy Spirit with us, let us recognize that the words that you have given us so long ago, the words resonated in history, are true for us today. Oh God, as that truth lands upon us, let us realize that our hearts can be troubled by all of the things that happen in this world. But also let us know that our hearts need not be troubled, but to seek your peace, to seek your love, and to look at the world in a different perspective. Because God, that's what having the Spirit in us is. In your name we pray, amen.